everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash, and I'm back here per the usual, recapping all things WWE ahead of Elimination Chamber next Saturday and NXT Vengeance Day going down this upcoming Tuesday on Sci-Fi and not USA for reasons I don't understand because apparently WWE doesn't care about NXT like they used to. But we'll get to all of that heading into this episode with my co-captain, my right-hand man, a pillar of fight game media, unlike Dominic Mysterio, I bring to you, per the usual, the advocate of Von Wagner, Scott Young. Welcome back, Scott. Well, uh, first off, a couple things. Uh, I appreciate the kind words on the pillar thing. I think I'm more like the portrait I was referring to of Dominic last week. I, I think I'm more along the portrait lines, but I do appreciate the, the, the pillar compliment. For, uh, also, let's be real careful with the Rey Mysterio talk because we already had problems with me trying to sign on here. You know, so there was already technological issues and I thought it was Rey Mysterio, but our, our other co-host here this week, he, he thinks it's somebody else who sabotaged me so i'm just getting it from all angles so i don't know what's going on so not only are you getting jinxed but you are also responsible for contract tampering regarding the services of on wagner is that what you're suggesting scott that, that, that's what I'm hearing. And, uh, you know, there was some some new allegations brought to uh, brought to light today. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a very interesting episode. We would keep our ears out for any disruptions from Scott's feed that it, that it might be hacked by one or more parties, courtesy of Rey Mysterio and one unknown individual from NXT 2.0. Also joining us today from Fight Media as well. Another pillar, dare I say. And unlike Steve, he thinks that perhaps maybe someday Dominic Mysterio will be a pillar of WWE back once again. Stephen Conway. Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happier than Matt Riddle when he sees Colorado on a booking sheet. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's, that was good. And you must be very excited to be here. I am happy to be here. It's, you know, I, always enjoy do- I always enjoy doing the show. There's always interesting things to talk about, and this week's no different. Yes, another busy week in WWE as we kick things off with the flagship show, Monday Night Raw, going down live from Denver, Colorado. And we had probably... One of my favorite segments of the year so far, the Quiz Bowl involving the Alpha Academy and RK Bro. These academic challenges have been a lot of fun the past few weeks. And I'm so glad that WWE, after all of this time, has finally realized the value they have in Chad Gable, a funny guy that is multi-talented on the mic and in the ring. And he's showcasing that more and more. And this quiz bowl was no exception. Otis, who I've talked about extensively, having his personality suppressed. He can't be himself, but he's inching towards being the Otis of old. And anytime food is a topic, he's ready to go. Ham, Hamlet, Ham, Chad is ham, and Chad does not take the hint. He picks the wrong answer, picks Romeo and Juliet as the most adapted movie from a Shakespeare play, and they're wrong. That opens the door for RK Bro to get back in the game and riddle and Orton tie the game up, and it comes down to a basically a weed question. How many ounces are in a gram? And Chad Gable is going to be proud to say, is it 12? Is it 18? 
Is it 24? I'm going with 12. He's wrong. And Randy Orton, noted weed expert, he bakes on the regular alongside Riddle. And Riddle knows how to calibrate a scale. So Orton correctly gives the answer. They win the quiz bowl and the academic challenge. And the cherry on top. And normally I hate sound effects. But when Chad Gable called out the buzzer, every time it was wrong, even though he thought he was right, the buzzer says, no, sir, you're wrong. He melted down, had a temper tantrum. The buzzer kept going off. I laughed. He continued to go off. This was hilarious comedy by one Chad Gable. And hopefully Vince sees the value he had. He now has in Chad Gable as a go-to comedy guy that can also go in the ring long term. He's come a long way from Shorty G. I thought this was a great way to kick off the show. And I love the fact that both teams have been able to show off their personalities and what they can do in the ring on the regular via this feud, especially Chad Gable and Otis, who are now, for the last month or so, the reigning defending Raw Tag Team Champions. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on the opening segment of Monday Night Raw featuring the Quiz Bowl between RK Bro and the Alpha Academy? I, I mean, I, I think you laid it out right there. I, I don't have really a lot more to add as far as this segment's concerned. That was, it was fantastic. Like, these, the everybody you could tell was just having a blast out there. The crowd was eating it up like they they are with the rk bro story like they're with every step of this they're with both characters they're enjoying this ride and chad gable um he's been fantastic in this heel role where he's been able to really be a mouthpiece for this team he's been he's been great to watch and to just see this evolution and 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 when you really think about it you've got two makeshift teams who are two of the most entertaining teams in the WWE right now. So, um, you know, that there's something, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but there's something there too. Uh, I, I'm really hoping that they don't split up RK bro at WrestleMania. Cause I think there's still legs with them as a team with this story. I even think that, you know, this should be a tag match at WrestleMania. I, I think you can stretch this feud out and get there to that point. Um, and that'd be a big win for RK bro at WrestleMania. And that'll give Chad Gable a WrestleMania match, Otis, a WrestleMania match. And it would be a great match at that. Um, so I, I hope they can stretch this out and get it to WrestleMania. Um, because I, I think this this little feud, I mean, look at what they've done with a, a, an academic bowl. Like, this sounds absolutely ridiculous on paper. They open Raw with it, and it's it's one of the most fun segments you will see on Monday Night Raw. This is kind of sports entertainment at its best. Like, this is, when you talk about sports entertainment being good, this is what you talk about. So, fantastic segment. Uh, Gable's great. I hope he gets a nice singles run after this. Team runs his course when Otis turns babyface on him and smashes him. So I hope he continues and gets a nice run there. But uh, yeah, I really, at the end of this, I really hope that RK Bro stays together through WrestleMania. I hope so too. And Randy Orton's face sells every last one of these segments. I live for the answers that Riddle gives because Orton's face says it all. And I'm personally looking forward to the toga party next Monday, this upcoming Monday on Raw. Randy Orton rocking a toga in 2022. Who would have thought that? But it's going to happen and I'm going to love it. So Stephen, what are your thoughts on the final academic challenge between the Afro Academy and RK Bro? I enjoyed it a lot as well, and I, I usually don't like the skits. It's just not my uh, cup of tea when it comes to wrestling, but these are a cut above, and I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. You're ab- Both of you, absolutely right. Gable is fantastic. He's the MVP of these. Orton, 
his reactions to anything Riddle says are so on point and perfect. You can just see the whole, this guy annoyed me for a while, but you know what? I'm kind of starting to like this guy. And I, and they've done this story with a couple of different tag teams in WWE. They're doing it with Io Shirai and Zoe Stark. They did it for a while with Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley, where it's the, the one, and now they're doing it again with Cora Jade and, uh, and uh, Raquel Gonzalez. It's something that WWE gets stuck in a rut with. However, these two are absolutely destroying this. They're doing so great at the, the partner that annoyed you at first and then grows on you. And they're doing it in a way that makes sense. They're doing it in a way where you could even see how Riddle is kind of breaking it down. And he's so likable that even the Viper Randy Orton is starting to melt and like the dude. And I agree with Scott wholeheartedly. There's mileage in these two. It's not time yet. It will be time someday, and then those matches are going to be fabulous. It's not time yet. There's still a lot of great entertainment value with RK-Bro. There are other teams they could put them with that would still be entertaining. I, I hope they don't break them up either. I There's no doubt that they will eventually someday, because WWE breaks up every tag team in the world that's not named the New Day. And uh, they and even the Usos for a little while, but even the New Day are the only ones. But... Eventually, these two are going to feud. It shouldn't be yet. There's still a lot more out of this. This segment proved it. Absolutely. And the day will come when they will have a match and Riddle will hit an RK bro or RKL on Randy Orton. And that's going to pop the crowd whenever it happens, maybe six months down the road. But I love this dynamic so much. They're so good. It's been a slow burn tag team relationship that has grown from annoyance to respect to almost love. As Orton almost said those words a few weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, but he's begrudgingly likes Riddle. And I love their relationship very, very much. And as you mentioned, Chad Gable is the MVP of the segments and Otis He's slowly getting back to the Otis I know and love, minus the beard. We're getting there. Progress is being shown. Throw some ham at him. He'll say ham, and I really appreciate that on a regular basis. Next up is Damian Priest going on a four-game, or shall I say a four-match losing streak as of late, as he's eaten losses to Kevin Owens clean, and now this past Monday to AJ Styles. And this sets up another U.S. title match between Priest and Styles this Monday on Raw. And I'm not opposed to a title switch at this point because I'm not a big fan of this Damian Priest, the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I'm a split personality. I'm good sometimes. It'll make me angry because I can be really mean and get myself DQ'd. And then I don't know why because I have like short term memory as to what to, to, as to what that I do wrong. And it's kind of stupid at this point. And I kind of go back all the way to last year's Warrior Rumble. The guy debuted in a Thunderdome. Nobody was there. And you give him the championship after SummerSlam is fine, but the fans really have not connected with the Damian Priest. They don't know the Priest from NXT 1.0, and I think that's the problem. And maybe a hill turn would be a way to aid in that a bit, to help that connection grow naturally as a heel, then flip back to a babyface minus his character switch. But it's WWE. They're going to do what they're going to do. But my one problem with this is the fact that Kevin Owens is a guy that beat him clean and won via DQ a couple of weeks ago on Monday Night Raw, and they completely drop that aspect of the storyline. I don't like that. AJ Styles randomly gets put in the match, beats the champ ahead of Elimination Chamber, gets a shot to be a champion heading into the pay-per-view this upcoming weekend. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on a possibly hill turn for Damian Priest? And honestly, who should be the guy to take the bet off of him, AJ Styles or Kevin Owens, who is technically still do a shot for this title? 
It's definitely going to be a heel turn. They protected him for so long as a babyface. He didn't lose a single fall to anybody for so long. And now they're just jobbing him out. It's clearly that, that they're going to turn him. They've also been careful about booking him lately with heels that the fans like. Kevin Owens is a heel, but the crowd goes nuts for him. AJ is kind of a heel. He's kind of turned babyface after the Omos thing. He wasn't supposed to be, but the crowd kind of turned. The crowd likes him. And so they've been booking him against those kind of guys. So the crowd's always been, uh, always been, but for the last month has been on the side of Priest's opponents anyway. So they've stopped protecting him. They're putting him against people that the crowd likes. It's clearly a heel turn coming with the split personality thing. I like him better as the NXT babyface. I think that's his best incarnation. The thing is, they've stubbed their toe with him as a babyface on the main roster like they do with almost everybody. The only way to get him back there is to turn him heel for a little while and then have him flip a little ways down the road because this version with him with the split personality was never going to get over as a babyface gimmick. And I'm not even sure it was really intended to, but it's... It's they have stubbed their toe with the guy and he's not as good as he was in NXT 1.0. He doesn't connect like you said. So this might be the best thing for his career. I think it's coming. I think it's coming soon. Kevin Owens is seems destined for a feud again with Seth Rollins, which they did a couple of years ago, but it was really good. And that seems to be the direction they're headed with him with this whole liar gimmick. You wouldn't lie to me, would you? You're my best friend, right? And we all know where that ends up in wrestling. So I feel like they're going to go with AJ as the, the champion here. He'll probably be the one to take it off and then him and then see the switch totally flipped and Priest uh, go to the dark side for a while. That's my guess. Yes. And Damian Priest was great on NXT. He did have a personality problem there, too, at first, being a brooding vampire, going after the money, the women, the cars, the nightlife. And it got better once he faced Finn Balor at In Your House. And he completely got it together as a performer and a personality that the fans could connect with. And he was hoping that that happens in the main roster via heel turn. That might make him feel a bit more comfortable in the role of being the antagonist, being the bad guy for a bit. And hopefully and hopefully via his work, which is never a problem. His work as of late has been really good, but is just mm-hmm. not clicking as a baby face. If he gets the hero run for a bit, I think it'll benefit him as a long term baby face on Mondays or Fridays heading into this year's draft. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on Damian? Priest for match losing streak that could lead to a title switch and a heel turn in the very near future. So a couple questions. First off, is it Damien or is it Priest that's on the four match losing streak? Because those those are his personalities, right? That those are that's who's com- who's competing for control of the body, right? Is Damien and Priest? Because that, that's what's going on here. That's the real matchup. Is Damien versus Priest? That's the WrestleMania matchup that we're building to, right? I mean, that's what we're doing, right? For the for the U.S. title, because he's going to beat Styles, and it's going to be Damien versus Priest for the U.S. title WrestleMania Night One. I mean, that, that's got to be what we're doing, right? No. He's going to wrestle himself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what he's doing. He's going to wrestle in front of a mirror. You remember like Damien Sandow used to do the, the Mizdow? That's what you're going to see Damien Priest doing in front of a mirror. He's going to be talking to himself in different voices. But in all seriousness, like, why would they think this this would work? This this kind of split personality thing would work? Um, I'm actually with you, Keela. I think a, um, a title change would be beneficial, not only for Damian Priest, but for AJ Styles. I think this would be a nice boost for AJ Styles. The fans will be with it. You can even have Damian Priest just kind of just be the heel, you know, just be the heel in the match and just 
go after AJ. Just be ruthless. Just be vicious. And that'll be more than enough to get the fans to turn on you the way they're getting behind AJ Styles. Steven, you brought something up that's real, that was spot on in that they have him booked against heels that people like. And I think that's a very important thing that they've done is to make sure that these other people are getting cheered. So, you know, the audience at home is seeing Damian Priest start to get booed a little bit more. They're seeing him start to lose his cool a little bit more. He's losing matches a little bit more. So they're doing it right there. But my worry is he didn't even get like a world title shot. Like when WWE is really high on somebody, they'll have him built up. Like I think back to guys like Umaga. He had him undefeated to get a title shot. Like they had built up these monsters to get title shots. They never did that with Damian Priest. And I'm honestly a little bit worried that he's going to get lost in the shuffle. Um, what worked for him in NXT, you know, was kind of the being that, you know, that blade extra, you know, the vampire guy that's in the nightclub that kind of worked for him. That's what. And then when he like you said, when he got it all together after that Balor match, he was just kind of the rock star dude. He was just that cool dude that just had that rock star vibe to him. And that's how they should have brought him up. But instead, they've changed his entrance three times because his first entrance was, I thought that was dope. I thought his first entrance was fire with him shooting the arrow and the lights go out and come back and he's there. Like, you know, they they just do too much with the wrong people. And I think, I just feel like he's going to get lost in the shuffle. And I'm actually very concerned about what happens to Damian Priest after this. Yeah, that's my fear too. We had probably the most unremarkable winning streak on Monday Night Raw this past year. And that's kind of bad because thank God they protected him. But for what exactly? Because he's not over and that's no fault of his own because of how he's presented. And I just find it so funny to me that when you graduate from NXT, you would think that I am going to get the Major League WWE production. They can't possibly mess this up. And they find a way to mess up his entrance. It was the Arch of Infamy. You fire the bow and arrow and the fire goes up and he makes his way to the ring. It's great. It's a great visual. Why change that? Why make him a demon like he's Rosemary's baby? It's stupid, but it's WWE. It's what they do. And it would not shock me that if Vince thought to himself, let's see how to get Damian Priest over. Let him have a match against himself at WrestleMania and he'll take the bumps. He'll freak out every five minutes and That'll really win the people over. This, folks, is making movies. So, Scott, I don't doubt your idea for a second. I honestly believe Vince would would have Damien versus Priest at WrestleMania. You know how we like to speak things into existence, so hopefully that one doesn't happen. Well, if we were still locked down in a pandemic, that would be a cinematic match. After they did that House of Horrors thing with... uh, Cameron Grimes and Dexter Loomis and I can almost see them trying to do like a cinematic match with Damien versus Priest. I'm, I'm, I I fear it. Yes. Oh my goodness. So if Scott watches the CW sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was an episode of Black Lightning last year and there was a guy fighting against himself. So that might have been the WrestleMania cinematic match. A battle in Damien Priest's head. <sighs> Oh, oh boy. And, and Damian Priest is not the guy to pull that off. No offense to him. I think he's great. But he's not the guy to be. He's not the guy who can have a four star match with a broomstick. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is true. So hopefully that does not happen. But knowing WWE, you simply never know. They have two nights to fill. And that's a possibility. 
scary thought indeed. Next up is actually one of the better Becky Lynch on the Hill segments versus Lita on the mic. I thought this was some nice work from Becky and Lita particularly because Lita was not always known as a great promo during her initial run in WWE from 99 to 2006. And I think she really opened my eyes during her Hall of Fame speech around 2014, I like to say, as she really was the most personable. She was charismatic. She really was very thoughtful with her speech. And since then, she's been very comfortable on the mic in a WWE setting. And I thought she held her own against Becky Lynch's past Monday on Raw. Becky, for the first time, got appropriate booze, saying that she appreciated Lita for being there for her when nobody kind of gave her a shot in WWE. But now I've got to destroy my hero now. You are going after the thing I love most. Apparently, she loves the Raw Women's Championship more than her baby and Seth Rollins. So Seth is looking at Becky like, really? You love the belt more than us, your family? Really? This is how it is? So that's going to be an interesting discussion at the dinner table coming up, heading into the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. And ultimately, it is like, listen, I know I'm an underdog. I know I have no shot at winning your championship, but I got the people. I got the fans behind me. They've rocked for me since day one, and they're going to rock with me again at Elimination Chamber. I have a shot against you. Either you take it or you leave it. And from there, they got into a scrap, and Lita hits Twist of Fate. I can safely say that Rebecca took a better bump than Charlotte on that particular move and the moonsault as well. And from there, Lita stands tall. I think that WWE gave too much away, basically the possible finish of the match, even though we know that Lita most likely won't be winning. But you don't want to give away the high spot before the pay-per-view, but they did nonetheless. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on this segment? Becky Lynch getting properly booed and Lita being over as one of the few people that can get cheers against Big Time Bex. I thought it was a good segment. Um, I thought Lita did hold her own well. She was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. Um, I, I thought the her style was different. She just carried herself completely differently. Um, so I, I always enjoyed her growing up. So this is actually going to be really cool for me. Uh, Becky Lynch did well. I, I really think a lot of this was more so on Lita than Becky Lynch. So I think this is more so the people just wanting to get behind Lita and just being excited at seeing this, I mean, honestly, this is kind of a dream matchup if you think about it. Becky Lynch versus Lita for the Raw Women's Championship, like that's that's a big time matchup. It's unfortunate that it's going to be, you know, in Saudi Arabia, but that's a, a whole another subject in and of itself. Um, but this, I mean, this this segment was fine. I actually, you know, I'm okay with them giving it away because she's not going to hit. I don't think she hits the moonsault. during the match. So I think this was her hitting it. Now, I do think she hits the twist of fate uh, during the match. but So I'm okay with that part. But, you know, I'm I'm very curious to see how this match goes. I have not, and I've said this before, I've not been too high on Becky Lynch in the ring. So I'm very curious to see how this match goes, how they lay it out, you know, how they kind of protect Lita, who, I mean, she had her first match in, it's got to be at least a decade, I would think, uh, in the Royal Rumble, so I don't know how long it's been. Well, I guess she was in the Royal Rumble, the first Royal Rumble too. So, um, so besides that, I don't know if she's had any singles matches. So this is going to be a, a big test for Becky Lynch to really be able to carry her. So I think that's going to be that's what most intrigues me is the matchup. The, the promo was fine, the segment was fine, but I am very intrigued with how this matchup goes. Me too. Lita's first singles match in almost 16 years, and I cannot wait to see how it goes. She's had tag team matches with Trish, two Rumble appearances over the last four or so years. It is going to be a big test for both ladies. I know Becky really idolizes Lita. That's a true hero of hers. 
she will deliver, I do believe. But as Scott mentioned, it's in Saudi Arabia. And I know the restrictions in terms of what they can and cannot wear. It's going to make me very depressed and have to watch the show and be in a sour mood. And hopefully the wrestling elevates my mood because I have read some regurgitation tweets from stars from WWE saying, this is change. This is hope in all caps. I'm like, mm, whatever. Really but not. I'm going really to try. Not. It's not really not change, but I'm just going to try to tough it out and watch the show because on paper, the match looks good and the entire card looks pretty impressive as well. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on the Lita Becky Lynch segment from Monday Night Raw? Well, I also enjoyed the segment. I thought it was very well done. I'm going to differ from Scott on this is that I never really thought much of Lita in the ring either. (laughs) I always thought that she was a good personality and she did a couple of moves, but a full match with Lita is an awful lot. And like you said, uh, Becky is, Becky is going to have to carry it. And that's true, but this match will only go as far as Becky Lynch can carry it. Never thought Lita was that good in the ring. I'm doubting that 16 years of being off is going to make her any better. Hopefully it's just something that they can lay out and get through and get to the other side of. Obviously, this is just going to be a win for Becky and then move on to something else. But uh, and uh, this one, this guy, I'm skeptical as to how much she's going to be able to get out of uh, Lita here. But no doubt she's going to try very hard because, like you said, she does idolize Lita, did uh, look up to her as a role model as she was thinking about getting into the wrestling business. So she's no doubt going to work very hard to make Lita look as good as possible. Lita's going to need the help. Absolutely. And here's hope. It ha- and here's hoping it happens next Saturday at Elimination Chamber. And now it's time for the closing segment of Monday Night Raw. And Scott had very high hopes for this particular matchup. But I always go back to a live interview via a WWE watch along a couple of years ago because Seth Rollins had legitimate beef with Riddle over something that happened via the gram that got back to him and Becky Lynch. And Seth noted, I don't want to be on the same show as Riddle. I don't want to work with Riddle. It'll never happen. We're on the same show now, but apparently in Seth's contract, I am going to work a grand total of 10 minutes in a singles match against Riddle before we get to a DQ and then have the Teddy Long tag team special of RK Bro versus Riddle and Kevin Owens. Against Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens, excuse me. And this match was fine. My only issue was the fact that the guy going inside Elimination Chamber alongside Seth Rollins happens to lose on this night, which also must be in Seth Rollins' amendment in his contract. I must beat Riddle about two weeks before the pay-per-view because of reasons. And I just thought this was a sour way to end Monday Night Raw with the exception of Randy Orton RKOing Kevin Owens and Owens sells it like he's dead on the floor and Seth laughs. And I'm like, what kind of friend are you laughing at your friend down on the floor selling death? So I was kind of hyped for the match, but I knew it wouldn't turn out to be what it was because of booking by WWE. We got a 50-50 everybody. We got to sweat the show out because it's on sci-fi and eh, it, it, it is what it was at the end of the night. So Scott, what are your thoughts on this main event of Monday Night Raw that you was really looking forward to until it kind of became a tag team special? 
So a couple things. First off, it pissed me off because, I mean, if you're on sci-fi, like you say, get these guys 20, 25 minutes and let them just do their thing. Just, I mean, you're already on sci-fi. Let, let them just go out there and put on a banger of a match. But no, like you said, we got the Teddy Long special and then we didn't even get the, the cherry on top against the Undertaker. You know, we didn't even get the cherry on top with it. You know how you turn into a tag match and you don't even get the Undertaker. So, no, I... The match was fine. I don't know why Randy Orton needed to RKO Kevin Owens before the match to set up the tag match and then after the match. So I I don't know why all that needed to happen. Um, I don't know what, what they're doing with Kevin Owens. And with the Riddle thing, I really hope they're not setting him up to win the title. Like, cause you like we we all know WWE will do that. They'll have a guy lose a couple times and then pull out this surprise victory, so we can have Randy Orton turn on him and set up a match at WrestleMania. So I really hope that's not the direction that WWE is going. Um, I, again, this is this is kind of why people don't trust WWE. This is a first time ever matchup. You, I mean, why not give these guys just the platform to go out there and kill it? I, I just it, it, stuff like this is why people are, are turned off by the product and why they don't want to keep coming back and giving it opportunity after opportunity because they know they're just going to get smacked in the face halfway through. Like it was a good match, too. And I, I think if you were to let that build more, you would have had a great Monday Night Raw match, but they turned it into an OK tag match. And. I, I, you know, it's just disappointing because I think that that's a great matchup if they let them to just do their thing. For sure. A lot of questionable booking on Monday Night Raw. And as you say, always, Kevin Owens is right there. He can eat the pin, protect Riddle. Don't let him lose ahead of Elimination Chamber. He's right there. The guy that, according to Sonya and Adam Pierce, you might not be able to be a part of WrestleMania this year. There might not be enough space for you for two whole nights of WrestleMania, Kevin Owens. Let's add to that by having him lose and have Seth laugh at him over and over and over again. Let's add tension there because, as Scott has always stated, Kevin Owens is right there for the pinfall. Protect Riddle, protect Rollins, but they can't do that because 50-50 booking must always reign supreme. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on the main event of Monday Night Raw, which was promising via a singles match before it became a Teddy Long tag team special? Well, I enjoyed the match, and I enjoyed the tag team part of it a little bit more than you guys did, although I'm not trying to say it was any kind of classic. I actually wouldn't mind a program down the road with these four if the four of them were willing to do it, and I know that there are issues there. The impromptu matches like that drive me crazy. It, it is silly booking. It doesn't make any sense, And but they do it all the time. So it's just one of those things that you just have to accept. And if you're going to watch the show, I mean, if not accept it, at least deal with it as you watch. But I, I really did like the way they work together. The booking, they do seem to just keep getting in their own way when it comes to that to keep people from getting over. It seems like some of the booking is designed specifically for people to avoid getting uh, getting over with anybody. But it was a good match in the ring. I wouldn't mind seeing more combinations of these guys. But like I said, both of these teams are probably going to split up uh, before too much longer. Uh, but I feel like, like I said earlier, I feel like there's still mileage in RK Bro. I kind of like the dynamic that's going on between Seth and Kevin Owens. I think they're fun to watch interact with one another in various ways. So, But you're talking about why they didn't give these guys more time. I was paying attention to something in the first. There was so much talking on Raw. It was ceaseless talking. Now, the Quiz Bowl thing we enjoyed. 
The other stuff, not so much. And in the first one hour and 15 minutes of a three hour show, there were two short wrestling matches in an hour and 15 minutes. The rest of it was just all talking. And I know that Kevin Dunn, the television producing poobah over there at WWE hates wrestling. It's been well determined that he avoids it as much as possible. Let's start a match, get him thrown out of the ring, then cut to a commercial. God forbid we see any wrestling. Then we come back, we just go straight to the finish and get out of the wrestling. And, you know, he says we do sports entertainment. The wrestling is for those old backward you know, trailer hillbillies that were on Saturday mornings in studios and stuff like that. He's he thinks he's above it. He thinks WWE is above it, even though they're in it. And it's something that has been making Raw far more difficult to watch than it should be. Just this ceaseless skits and interview segments. You got people that walk to the ring and then you get two more segments in the back and they're standing in the ring with their music playing for 15 flipping minutes before the match starts. And then the match is two minutes long. This is a good example of that. This match could have stretched out. They had all kinds of time for this match to stretch out. Four very, very talented individuals involved in this segment, and they just didn't do it. And they wonder why people are run, being run off. I talked to a friend of mine. I'll, I'll go through this quick because I know we've got a lot to get to, but a lapsed wrestling fan. I just said, why did you stop watching? And he said, there's no wrestling on it anymore. He'd just sit there for a half an hour listening to people talk. And he just said, I just got bored with it. I just didn't want to listen to that on a three hour long show. And I, I didn't even have an argument against him. That's true. It really is frustrating to watch sometimes. I think I got a little bit of heat on Twitter last month because I noted that they ran out of time for certain segments and they was trying to puffer with commercials and talking segments. I'm like, well, they do have to format their show around commercials and this is how they format their show. An entrance, commercial break, another entrance, a video package, a commercial break. Like they format their show this way and they make those commercials feel long as hell because of how they format Format their show and that's the main issue for me formatting your television show you are professional wrestling despite your denial of it and I always find it funny when the contracts are due we are now sports and we want to make the money the yeah. sports leagues make and that is just funny to me because you say you're not wrestling but when it's time to make that money you are wrestling you are a sport and you're in the business of making money as a sport despite your hatred of wrestling but that's a long-standing topic that's been a big, big discussion point very, very, for a very long time. As we segue to the future of WWE via NXT 2.0, and this was another mixed bag show, but we got a great start via the semifinals of the Dusty Cup featuring the Creed Brothers versus Grizzle Young Veterans. I thought this might have been the Creed Brothers' best performance to date. Brutus especially was a great seller, selling a neck injury. He couldn't breathe. He was coughing he was going through it but he was a powerhouse down the stretch Julius jumping off the back of Brutus to hit James Drake with that superplex was fantastic the crowd standing on their feet for that spot was great as well and I just loved the physicality and the greenness in some ways because these Creed brothers don't hold anything back they really lay in their shots they're less wild than they were during their debut about six or seven months ago but they're really promising as a team and I definitely see something in Brutus as a future standalone star 
in maybe three to four years. Not right now, as I really love the Creed brothers together as a unit. MSK also advances by beating Malik Blade and Idris Anofe. Another fine match. Babyface versus Babyface doesn't do a lot for me, but it was good for what it was. And MSK goes to the Dusty Cup Finals for the second year in a row to face the Creed brothers. And this match has the potential of really being something special. MSK won the whole thing last year. This year, I sense the Creed brothers winning the entire Kabuto because they're the up-and-coming team. I sense, even though I wanted to wait six months, we're almost there now, and they jumped ahead about three months, so it might be Imperium versus Creed Brothers for the NXT Tag Team titles. It could be a very good, if not great, match, and I see that for the Creed Brothers. This is coming Tuesday via Vengeance Day on Sci-Fi for reasons I don't get based on Tuesday's number, but hey, it's a choice WWE decided to make. So, Steven, what are your thoughts on the finals of the Dusty Cup, the right two teams advanced, and who you got winning the whole cup? I agree with you absolutely that it's the Creeds going uh, winning this thing, and mostly because of uh, Malcolm Piven's strong Twitter game and how he is just playing up the Dusty Cup in his uh, tweets. If you have a chance to look at it, there's been some great stuff on there. Uh, he even threw in a little bit of a uh, Outcast Love Below soundtrack to it as he looks longingly at the trophy. It's been great. <laughs> uh, he's really selling it wonderfully. I, I'm I'm really digging that guy, but. The Creed brothers are a perfect example of two guys who literally do not know their own strength. And the one thing about MSK is that they're small and they can really throw those two guys around. And MSK is very athletic and very good. And there could be some really exciting spots in this thing that hopefully don't kill the two members of MSK at some point. Because <laughs> that's the one thing I worry that they're just going to lawn dart somebody into the crowd or something uh, accidentally. I don't think they're trying to do it. I think they honestly have no idea just how powerful they are. But they are improving, and each match, the Creeds do get a little bit smoother. There's still a lot of rough edges, but they are getting a little bit smoother, and I, I find myself looking forward to this. I think the Creeds are going to win, and then they're going to go up Imperium, and Imperium is a great tag team that can really work well with them. So as I look at this, they're kind of doing things pretty well with the Creeds. They're putting them with teams that can make them look good, the Grizzled Young Veterans, MSK, and then on to Imperium. If you want the Creeds to learn, this is the way to do it. They're putting them in with the correct people and probably even in the correct order. So I have no complaints. I'm looking forward to the match. I think the Creeds are going to win it and we're going to get some good stuff out of Malcolm Bivens. So for all of my complaints about WWE, this is one thing I think they're getting correct. Absolutely. And when you're learning from the best, you're going to get better faster. We always talk about how they need to get back on the road in Florida, run that coconut circuit. If they can't do that, the next best thing is to work with MSK, Imperium, the vets. They're great. And the Creed Brothers, this is not a one-sided thing. They offer something unique and different. And you believe everything they're doing a bit too well because they really lay in those shots. It's scary yeah. sometimes. And I have a funny feeling that they might pull off some hops against MSK. I saw the Instagram videos of y'all flipping with weights and shit. I truly believe they're going to do something crazy during that matchup that might cause Malcolm Bivens to combust in the best possible way <laughs> at ringside because he's awesome. And I did laugh my ass off when he was standing over uh, James Drake. Like, look at you. Look at you. You get, couldn't get the job done, could you? I love Malcolm Bivens to the moon and back. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on the finals of the Dusty Cup between MSK and the Creed Brothers and who you've got winning the dusty so a uh, couple things i you know first off i agree with you both it's gonna be a clean sweep I, I think the creed brothers take it um they've done a great job of just building these guys up 
I think I love the ending of the match with Brutus stopping Julius from laying in that final clothesline they do um, to the down opponent because he had gotten his neck hurt. And he was like, no, 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 no. I got this one. And, and he, he smacked that dude. Pretty, he gave him a nice little uh, clothesline on the way down. So I, I like that little touch because he's the one who hurt his neck. Um, so that was a good little finish there. I, I love them as a tag team. I think they're fantastic. And hot take coming right here. NXT 2.0 has done a better job of introducing and preparing young talent for WWE than the original version did. People, I, people may not agree with that statement, but I mean, look at what we've got right now compared to what we had when NXT, I mean, for the last few years with NXT, it was a great show. But what future stars did they really, I mean, what what young stars did they make? We got Bianca, you know, we got Big E, we got people like that. You know, I'll, I'll give them the women's division. They did a great job there. But look at what we've got on the men's side. We've got Braun Breaker. We've got Carmelo Hayes. We've got Trick Williams. We've got the Creed brothers getting ready. Even Ivy Niles has a look about her that, I mean, she even, she stands out. I mean, even amongst those giant men, she still stands out. You still can't take your eyes off her because she's got a great look. And Malcolm Bivens, where has he been? He all of a sudden gets picked up. So, man, Tony D'Angelo, that's another guy. He's got a great character. He's getting better in the ring. Um, So, you know, people may not agree with that, but I, I do think that this version of NXT has done a better job of introducing and just getting young talent ready for the main roster and really seeing what you have. Like, how long has the Creed brothers been there and just sitting in developmental? How how long has some of these other acts been there? Even like a, a Stratton, how long has she been there? Like some of these other talents, how long have they been there just waiting? And now we get them at 2.0. So... I I like this what they've done with 2.0 so far. There's obviously some some rough matches we're going to see and whatnot, but as far as the vision, I think the vision's working. That I do agree with you with because in the old NXT, you had a lot of people in a bottleneck at the PC waiting for their TV time. And when you have a Braun Breaker, I don't get how he was sitting there that long. And Me then either. he just comes through and he's a star. And that's one of the critiques I have with Triple H. You said seven years ago this year that developmental my ass, but at the core of what you are, this is developmental. And I love the indie version of NXT. I truly do. But you had a lot of people down there that needed to get reps as well to get to TV and hopefully be a star. Now, we don't have the coconut circuit right now because when you have stars down at the PC training every day off camera, you de- you do need to work on the road. And via the TV show now, we get to see the greenness on display. But I can see what Vincent, Bruce, and Kevin saw over the summer through their walkthrough. You see what they see. I get it. And I'm here for some of the stars getting a push outside of one person in particular, Scott's best friend, Von Wagner. But besides that, everybody else, your guy by choices for reasons I don't get that's your guy but everybody else you've mentioned I like too they've improved rapidly via the TV show some people are not ready for prime time still I'm not a fan of the 1D gimmicks but you do see potential that you didn't see six months ago via the OG NXT so that I definitely agree with you on and then 
Speaking of NXT and what it is and what it can be, the OG NXT offered their own little forbidden door to the main roster when people would drop by sometimes in Florida for a fly-by-night thing. This week was no exception as Dolph Ziggler appeared on 2.0 to crash the championship summit between Braun Breaker and Santos Escobar. And I have not cared about Dolph Ziggler for five years. And I respect Dolph Ziggler. I was a ride-or-die Dolph Ziggler fan. Until I wasn't because his character got stale. I didn't care anymore. He was a great worker, but I don't care about the character of Dolph Ziggler. There is no growth. There is no evolution. There is no chameleon-like aspect of Dolph Ziggler being something else other than just being Dolph Ziggler. This week, he was pretty good on 2.0, stirring up the pot between Breaker, Ciampa, and Escobar. And I think Ziggler broke the PC crowd when he told them these same few hundred people show up every single week and they clap like seals for you, Ciampa. And aren't you tired of it? Don't you want to take off the knee pads, the elbow pads, the helmet, take the training wheels off, move on up to the main roster? I'm like, wow. I think up until the main event, these cr- this crowd was like, maybe he's right. Maybe we are clapping seals that love everything. And they felt so bad. And Ziggler was such a great heel in that moment. So I really enjoyed that aspect of Ziggler's performance. And I'm hoping that via his stint on NXT 2.0, that he's able to elevate a Braun Breaker and a Ciampa. And it's funny, two vets out there elevating each other, but it's going to be a different style match. I want to see Ziggler offer something different as a performer versus what we see on the main roster. A guy who's very proud to say, I lose 99 out of my 100 matches, but I'm good for that one match every now and then. So Scott, what are your thoughts on Dolph Ziggler crashing NXT 2.0? And do you think he can add something, not only for himself, but to the stars he's going to be working with moving forward i absolutely do uh you heard the reaction that he got when he came out that that audience treated him like a star uh the the reaction he got you know you would have thought that this was that you would have thought that he was what his accolades say he is this a former world champion decorated athlete just this great wrestler and he is but they just don't treat him like that on the main roster he's a solid tag team wrestler on the main roster but here he felt like a big deal and i really hope that he's going to be on nxt for a while and honestly i'm not even opposed to him whenever they do call Braun up, being the guy to take the title from Braun. Because I think he could be a great champion on that NXT roster, especially if you want guys to learn how to work that WWE style. Who better to learn from than Ziggler, who's an excellent wrestler and who's going to make all those guys look good? You want to talk about somebody who can oversell for you and make sure that them, them hits take you know look good. That's the guy for you. So I I think Ziggler being there is going to be nothing but beneficial. And maybe this is me personally hoping that Robert Roode comes back and shows up in his glorious attire. And maybe we get a Robert Roode versus Dolph Ziggler for the NXT title down the road. That's that's me just wishful thinking. That's not going to happen. But um, the Ziggler thing I really enjoy. I, I hope this is a long-term thing. Braun Breaker is going to get a lot from working with him. I think the match we're going to get with Ziggler versus Champa first, I think that's going to be a great match. So I, I'm really hoping that happens too. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about Ziggler in NXT. If Robert Roode returned with the robe, with Glorious, those fans would cry tears of joy. That was an awesome run for Robert Roode on NXT about five or six years ago. 
it won't happen because CFOs need their money and WWE <laughs> is not paying for that music. So we could kiss that dream goodbye. But I do miss glorious Bobby Roode. Steven, what are your thoughts on Dolph Ziggler joining the NXT ranks temporarily? And can he get the career rejuvenation he needs onto Pornell? It's possible. I think the role for him goes back to a role they've had someone play before. And a few years ago, before he went up to the main roster, Tyler Breeze was in a position similar to this. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean just looks with long blonde hair and things. But as a guy who could have really, really good matches and credibly lose in the biggest moments. He wasn't, Tyler Breeze never held the NXT title, but you could make a case that a couple of years there, he was the MVP of that brand because they could put him in with anyone. He would have a great match with anyone and he would put them over at the end of it. That's kind of a thing that Dolph Ziggler could be there. Could he have a title run? I'm not arguing against it. A short one. It should be a transitional one, but with Tyler, with a Dolph, excuse me, Stale as anything, maybe the most stale person in the entire company. There is nothing more you can do with this guy that is interesting on the main roster. This is interesting. Him against these guys is interesting, and he could do a lot for them and lose at the end, and that's a valuable role to play. Someone that can have a good match and put somebody over. It's something that's missing, someone that the fans would take seriously, and it just reminds me of that, that like Tyler Breeze would go on and he'd have these fantastic 20-minute long matches, and he would lose valiantly at the end on those NXT takeovers and the guy would come out of that takeover in a better position than when he went in. It's exactly what they need from him right now. For sure. And I feel that Ziggler can do that. He needs this for himself and to also get get over other people as well, because I've been over this man for a very long time and I was championing his win the night after WrestleMania in New Jersey, what, eight years ago now, going on nine years ago, and it has not been the same since. I have stopped caring since he lost to The Miz over the IC title on SmackDown Live well over six years ago now, and I just want Ziggler to really get this reboost, this rejuvenation on NXT 2.0 to get Fresh Stars over and get himself over with the crowd that loves him, despite him calling them a bunch of clapping seals. That was a bridge too far or was he wrong? Not necessarily, but I would not have said it out loud because I really kind of felt guilty the rest of the show, which seg- which segues into our main event featuring Mandy Rose versus Kayla Ray for the NXT Women's Championship. And this was a match that was simply there. It was nothing particularly special. And for some reason, I'm having a hard time connecting with Mandy Rose via this character. I'm hot. I'm sexy. I'm beautiful. And she is a very beautiful woman. But I have flashbacks to SmackDown almost two years ago. And it's the doldrums. It's the PC. There's nobody there. And it's just dead. But the good news is that offered an opportunity for people to break through because people can't say what to you during your promos. They can't boo you. They can't jeer you. And I thought that Mandy and Sonya really came into their own a couple of years ago, cutting thought-provoking promos. Mandy admitting, you know what? People have called me stuck up. They've called me. Um, they call me that I'm stuck on my looks. I'm superficial, but I know I'm more than that. And she cut her hair and she was believable as a baby face. And she comes in at 
NXT and it's all about the looks and it feels incredibly overproduced. I don't like when old people try to tell me how to be sexy. Look into the camera, pose, 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 flip your hair, pose some more. It's like, can she just be herself? Can she just be in the moment? That's the one thing missing for me with Mandy and toxic attraction as a whole. Like it's a nice gimmick. It's a nice idea. It's overly produced. And I don't like overly produced smoke shows. Let them be themselves. And it takes me away from this title run. There's a lot of potential, but it means nothing when it's all about the looks. And in 2022, I think we're kind of above that as fans. And I think Mandy feels the same way because she offered depth just two years ago on SmackDown with nobody there. So Scott, what are your thoughts on the matchup and the presentation of Mandy Rose? as NXT Women's Champion. I'm not quite as down on her as you are. I, I do agree with you that the the way they present her as this like sex goddess is is way too much. I mean that's that's how they're presenting the entire like show. Like the it, the show ends with this sexy image of her from the bottom up. You know the camera's shooting her from the bottom up. So that that's the whole thing. Like last week, I think it was when she fell into uh, what's my name? What's my boy's name? Uh, the creator wrestler name from NXT. Uh, Malik blade uh when she fell into his arms so that i mean like their whole thing is it, <laughs> that's that's the name they use right wasn't that one of the the names during one of the storylines of smackdown versus raw no i didn't mean to interrupt that it was bare i didn't mean blade. to interrupt that popped me i love that it was Baron Blade, but I thought I knew it was a blade in there but that's what it reminded me of a creator wrestler my bad um but yeah so you know the Mandy Rose thing, it's just over the top it's way too much like I I get you got these three beautiful women but we don't like you don't have to to I'm not going to tell a woman what how how they should dress or what they should do so if you know but I'm sure Vince McMahon is trying to and that's where that's where this whole thing is going wrong or Bruce Pritchard and I don't know which one is worse so that's that's picking your poison right there so you know that's that's where the problem's coming in I like the promo that she cut where she said, you know, people are talking about my looks like I'm the best looking thing here. I'm the best looking champion here, but I'm a, I'm a worker. Like I'm about what I can do in the ring. And that's the reason I got the gold. So I like that. She at least is like, not like you said, Keely, when she talked about that depth a few years ago when she was this baby face. I like that she's at least acknowledging that people are saying you only champion because of your looks, but she's like, I can get it done in the ring. So at least there's some acknowledgement, but I do wish that there was more because I think she has gotten better in the ring. I, I do think there has been improvement. She's way more confident, I think, in what she can do. Her as a champion is a bit of a questionable thing, but I think they really want to get this faction over. Um, just just give the belt to Io Shirai. Io Shirai is right there to carry this division. You're not doing anything with her. I am curious to see who her tag partner is, as long as it's not Saray. But just give her the belt and let her carry this division. Yeah, I feel the same way. Mandy has improved a lot, but this character just isn't working for me because I cannot turn my brain off from nearly two years ago when she like basically said, listen, I am not about my looks. I'm about who I am as a person. I've got depth beyond what Sonya said I didn't have. So I just want that Mandy on display. I know what you're trying to do. Let's reach a young audience. They have that. It's called Instagram. They go on the gram. They see the pictures. Oh, look, it's a woman and she has a nice physique. It's lovely. And you try to put it on TV. It just doesn't have the same sizzle because it's so 1999. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on the championship match between Kaylee Ray and Mandy Rose and Mandy Rose's presentation as the NXT Women's Champion? 
I don't think I need to add a word to what you said about Aquila. What you said about it being 1999 dated presentation, it does feel like that. That whole camera goes from the legs up to the butt to the top. It just feels like Bruce Pritchard is producing this all over again, going all the way back to the 90s and saying, well, it worked for Tora Wilson, so we're going to do this. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of things in NXT that is like, well, we did this a long time ago. So we're gonna, you know, we had uh, we had uh, we had Dean Douglas, so now we'll have Andre Chase. We'll just do that again. <laughs> and uh, that's a terrible Bruce Pritchard impression, by the way. He's, he sounds much more hickish than I did. But the the presentation is very, very dated. Rose is okay in the ring, and the thing is with this title match. Kaylee Ray has some charisma to her. She has the she has an odd charisma to her, but she's not at the same level as some of the other women in the ring. And I remember when she had the big match for the UK title with Tony Storm, it was probably Tony Storm's worst title match when she put over Kaylee Ray for the belt. It, she's just not on that level in the ring, so she couldn't carry Rose the way other people might have been able to, and it, and it did just kind of land with a thud. And it looks like we're going to get Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai, because Io came in to save uh, Kaylee at the end of that uh, whole segment, which will probably be okay. I was excited about one thing, by the way. Io Shirai hit the first 619 I have ever seen in WWE that looks like it might break an egg. Because Rey Mysterio's always looks so weak. He's always so slow coming around in there now. And she hit one that smacked either Dolan or JC Jane right in the mush. And it looked like it hurt. That's the first time I have seen anyone do a 619 where it didn't just look like a guy doing a trick that wasn't a real wrestling move. So I was proud of EO for that. It says, oh, the 619 might actually hurt somebody. And uh, I think, again, that she should be the standard bearer for the division and at least a challenger for this title. And I think they're going to build to that eventually. But, uh, yeah, the whole thing with Mandy Rose, it just feels like a, it feels like exactly what you said. It's a bunch of old guys saying, hey, go out there and be sexy and here's how to do it. And it's not that way anymore. And it's a different world. In the late 90s, you know, the Internet was this tiny thing that, you know, it would take 10 minutes to upload a picture and things like that. You couldn't just see good looking women in bikinis that easily back then. And WWE was providing something that wasn't everywhere. And there's nothing interesting about it. There's nothing really new about it. And turning them into just a bunch of sex bombs. It is kind of falling pl flat. People just aren't that interested in it, clearly. And, and the overly produced, overly rehearsed interviews they're doing just aren't coming across so uh, it's that that part of nxt there is just feels very old to me yeah this has the potential of being beautiful people from the height of impact with velvet and angelina love and madison rain and this is just a carbon copy that doesn't have that heart or that natural sexuality that really would bring you in because old men are trying to tell you how to exude sex in 2022 and that's not it and i'm sex positive through and through but it's just a presentation that's irking me because i know mandy has more potential than what she's displaying on a regular basis yeah, there's there's ways to there are, and, and if you want to do if you want to do sexy, there are ways to do it. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that wrestling is a variety show. There's supposed to be a little bit of everything, but this just isn't. The, there there is a way that they could do it that would feel more natural, and it's just not happening with this group. Yeah, no, I agree. That, I think they yeah. should do it like the Kelly Kelly way, and they just you know have her strip naked and hold her boobs, and then just have her back turn, and then have some random dude run out with a jacket and cover her up for the first six months of her career. We can do it like that. That's a great way to introduce somebody, right? 
That is a bad flashback. That was a back. Scott Young, not Stephen Horrible. Conway. Horrible. Scott Young, not Stephen Conway. Stephen wants to clarify that wasn't me. In case my mom or girlfriend listened to this, Scott Young, not Stephen Conway. Yes, and I just got a bad flashback from the early days of ECW with Kelly's expose. Poor Kelly Kelly, mm, 19 mm, mm, years mm. old. And she's trying to give us a show, and it was not a show. She was a deer in the headlights, just did not know what she was doing. But you know what? She got better as a wrestler, and that is a solace I have, and that's good. But that's how they introduced her, and it was a bad introduction, but she got herself over, and here's hoping that Toxic Attraction can find a way to make the most out of whatever they're given right now, which isn't very much thanks to Bruce Pritchard and Steven's almost dead-on <laughs> accent of what he would say during a rehearsal that is probably factual and with that I think Steven also jinxed himself by calling out Rey Mysterio so if Steven drops during this conversation <laughs> booyaka booyaka it happened to him as well <laughs> I'm just letting y'all know like Ray's been getting it from both sides this past week on this show from Dominic not being a pillar to Ray not hitting the 619 with the greatest of ease it just doesn't look good when he does it. I know that everybody just gets this on and they do this artificial thing where the guy makes some sort of doofy thing where he falls to his knees in the second rope that never, ever happens any other time in wrestling, except when somebody's working Rey Mysterio. And then he swings around and has to oh, it just crawls over and dinks him in the nose and the guy has to fall back. Oh, God. <sighs> <laughs> Steven's pet peeve, y'all. Ray 619. <laughs> something we learn new every day. And I appreciate that on this show. And I hope you enjoy listening to the show, by the way, as we also have the Fight Game Media Network Plus via the Patreon. We got bonus shows every month from this show and all the other shows in the network and daily shows dropping, recapping all things Retro Raw, the Dynamite Show, the Five Star Joshi Podcast, and so much more via Fight Game Media Network Plus via patreon.com backslash Fiking Media for $5 a month. And Scott and I are doing a show later this month to really mark a very important anniversary, the seventh anniversary of NXT TakeOver Rival when TakeOvers were a thing. And it's a throwback now. It is old. It is vintage, to quote Michael Cole. And we're going to go back in the Wayback Machine in a couple of weeks to recap the show to cap off the month of February. So please do so via patreon.com backslash Fike Media for $5 a month. And with that, let's make that smooth transition to Friday Night SmackDown on Fox a couple of days ago from New Orleans, Louisiana. And I have to call out a match that was good and bad the exact same time because I love we cannot call them New Day apparently we cannot call the New Day the New Day they're simply Kofi Kingston and Big E versus Los Otarios and they had a great match last week had a great match this week my only quibble is 50-50 booking like here we go again I guess we have to have a rubber match which is fine but I think Angel and Umberto might need the wins more than the New Day or not New Day day at this point as they have been tag team champions 12 times throughout their tenure in WWE and I love the New Day versus the Usos I truly do but I do not want to see this match run back at Wrestlemania unless it's multiple teams involved in a ladder match which would be pretty badass but I love Los Otorios and the not New Day because they really have 
great chemistry in the ring. It's undeniable. It's fun. It's fresh. We haven't seen this matchup as often as we should, which is a good thing by WWE standards today. And I really dug it. The near falls are everything. The callbacks are nice. And I think Angel and Umberto are a great tag team. I'm not a big fan of the gimmick. Lethal Lovers, if you Google it, it's not the best name for a tag team as a nickname. So WWE might want to scratch it off following this week's show. But all in all, this was a nice match despite the 50-50 booking of it all. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on this tag team match between not the New Day, but it's Biggie and Kofi versus Angel and Umberto from Los Otarios? Well, there's there was some weirdness in this match. There were a couple of really weird moments, and they all centered around Garza. And I was watching this match. I watched it again today because there was something just kind of. I enjoyed it for for the most part. I when I first watched it, but I thought, oh, this isn't. This is a little weird. There's some. There's some weirdness in this match. And I went back and I found three different things. There was a thing with Garza where he had Big E in the ring. He did the the uh, Taichi spot where he pulls his pants off, uh, you know, the long pants off down to the down to the trunks, throws it in Big E's face. Big E lays there. He then crisscrosses the ring three different times waiting for Big E to pop up. He never does. So Garza stops, doesn't do a move, doesn't miss a move, just stops, reaches down, pulls up Big E, backs him into the ropes, blatantly calls a spot on national television. Then they go, then Big E does the overhead belly to belly. So I think, okay, well, that was just one weird thing. Later on, Kofi goes to throw Angel Garza out of the ring, and apparently Garza feeds to the wrong side of the ring because Kofi, again, just stops, grabs his hair, pulls him around opposite hard camera so that he's in the right place for the big spot toward the end. And then the finish didn't work. He kind of rolled out, and all he did was just kind of jump on top of Kofi, and Kofi just kind of laid there pretending to struggle until he got counted out. It didn't work right. So something was off with Angel Garza in this match. I don't know if he got hit in the head and he was a little loopy or if there was something else going on. I'm not trying to accuse him of anything. It's just that he was just a little off and there were some weird moments in the match that kind of interrupted it. The 50-50 booking is a constant problem in WWE. There's nothing more to add to that. It's just a silliness thing. I kind of like the kiss cam with the plant in the crowd. They just kind of stuck a woman there in the the, the front corner and uh, had her uh, get a kiss from the Lotharios. I guess now they have a kiss cam just to put that part of it over. That's fine. It's a little bit of a, again, Bruce Pritchard. Well, we did that with Rick Rude. Remember Rick Rude? We can do this with him. And uh, then we've got that. But it, it's a it's a good tag team match and I don't mind seeing more of it as long as they kind of get themselves together a little bit. The Lotharios are really, really good. You're right. They need the wins far more than the New Day do. And we don't need any more New Day Uso matches. So if they do want to put somebody over and put them into the mix, I'm up for it. Uh, we'll see that they do that, but it does kind of feel like this is going to end up being a 50-50 thing with Kofi and Big E kind of coming out on top in the end. To me, anyway, I'd like to be proven wrong and see the Lotharios get a run. Me too. I like Angel and Berto a lot. And I did notice some of those moments with Angel and Big E and Kofi. I, Kofi had to wait patiently to hit the run on the outside because yes. he was out <laughs> of position. Like, what is he doing? I'm not blaming Kofi. Angel, what are you doing? Like, he took the bump too soon, but mistakes happen. Here's hoping they clean that up because they do have potential as a great tag team. And Big E and Kofi are constantly professionals through and through. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on this tag team match between Not The New Day and Los Otarios? So I thought it was a really good tag match between the Lethal Lovers and Not The New Day. Um, I, I want to say this about um, L, the LLs, the L squared. Um, I think that Garza brings a lot of the personality, but 
I'm I'm big on Humberto. Like I I think Humberto is really good in the ring, and I I would. When he got that singles push, and I think it was Paul Heyman behind it, or maybe it was right after Paul Heyman, but I really enjoyed him during that little run he had with AJ Styles for a little bit. I think he had a little run with Sheamus. So I I like this because he's getting more attention with this. Um, The New Day thing, it's a weird thing because it's not like SmackDown has a whole bunch of teams that they could be turning to. So, and, And please tell me if I'm wrong, they have four official teams, right? The War Raiders, Los Lotharios, Not the New Day, and the Usos. Like that's <laughs> that, those are the four teams, right? And I mean, Madcap and Corbin—they're not a team, but they could do it. Ridge and Sheamus, um, Cesaro and Ricochet. Nobody wants to wrestle them because Ricochet might break somebody else's nose. So nobody wants to wrestle them. So I don't know what other teams they have to really throw at the Usos. I mean. What do you what do you do at this point? I, I don't I don't know what they do with the tag division at this point on the SmackDown. So like the Raw side, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities and different variations you can throw, especially with Chad Gable and Otis. But on the SmackDown side, I just I don't know where you go, man, because I don't think you put I don't think you could put them over the new day, man. Biggie cannot take Biggie shouldn't be losing any feuds. So any rubber matches, yeah. Big E should be pulling it out himself. Like he should be like, yo, we're we not going down like that. You know, if Kofi takes the loss, that's one thing. But when it comes down to it for the big match, the rubber match, that's when Big E, the single star, needs to just take over the match. Big E, the monster. Okay. Well, can we mention one thing here real quick is we are talking about guys losing a match to Los Lotharios and doing 50-50 booking and being part of a kind of a mediocre, not mediocre, that's probably a rough word, but a less than exciting tag team division that doesn't have a whole lot of teams with it. These are two people that were world champions. Kofi Kingston beat Daniel Bryan and had a long run and then lost to to Brock Lesnar in seconds. And the next week was out throwing pancakes, literally, to the crowd and dancing. And, you know, the fans were like, well, if he doesn't care, he lost the world title. Why should I? Big E just lost, didn't get a rematch and doesn't seem to care. And we wonder why these guys don't get over that much. I mean, and the, and the New Day are over in a kind of a way that, oh, hey, it's the New Day. And I know and they're not the New Day, whatever. It's, it's these guys. And the crowd pops for them and they're happy to see him and all this kind of stuff. But they, that, that heat, that cheering that the crowd had for Big E just a few months ago has already dissipated just because they present him like, well, he lost the title. And he was like, well, I was just happy to be there. And it, he doesn't seem to want it back. Neither one of them has a drive. These guys were world champions and now they're 50 50 booking with los lotharios it's just you wonder why baby faces don't get over the fall has been frustrating i've noted this last week via my biggie take and i still feel the same way i gotta believe there's gotta be a better way out for biggie in terms of getting back in the single scene back to fighting for a championship that is of a universal title caliber I don't know when that's going to happen, but it's incredibly frustrating to see you be in the main event of January's pay-per-view day damn one. And then you lose a championship and you're dismissed at the Warrior Rumble and you're losing in 50-50 booking tag team matches to Angel and Umberto. And it's just it's frustrating as a fan. And as Scott mentioned, the tag team scene is super thin on SmackDown. And I'm going to get to my next topic in a minute. But the one mistake WWE made via the 
November cuts was cutting Hit Row. You're telling me that Swerve and Ashanti the Adonis or Top Dollar could not contend against the Usos for those titles out of WrestleMania. You telling me that you were so quick to fire them and not think about, hey, Bloodline, Hit Row, Hit Row versus The New Day, all of these goddamn combinations and you fired them for no fucking reason. Amen. Amen. Right on. Spot on. Would have been a nice breath of fresh air for that division. So many slots they could be filling, right? I mean, just so many slots. Like, Swerve Swerve could be, man, I'm telling you, Swerve could be a main event guy. Like, he could he could have had a run at Roman. Or he could he could be the guy who takes the title from Sammy at WrestleMania. Like, there's so many things they could have done with, her, with Hit Row. And you mentioned the tag division. Those are two, that could be two big WrestleMania matches right there that, that they just don't have. Or, man, that, that upset me. I don't know if you did it on purpose, Keela, or not, but that upset me. <laughs> now, now I, I'm upset. I'm upset. <laughs> We're all upset because that was the one tag team. I think we all fantasy books saying this is a tag team that can give the bloodline the new day and the Usos a legitimate run for their money. And they fire them less than a month into their tenure on SmackDown for bullshit reasons. And they might have buyer's remorse. It's too late because Swerve is not going to be coming back anytime soon. But the quick trigger of let's fire people because of budget cuts and let's gut a tag team division and let's cut the team that got the promo, the push, the promotion and just forget about it. It's just the most frustrating thing because that's your solution. A fresh tag team you pushed, you promoted, and you fired not even a month into the draft and to me that is WWE's biggest mistake the last round of cuts that have still stung to this day as we segue to another tag team being bitched out via the form of the Viking Raiders and I got flashbacks to (laughs) and I got flashbacks to Ricochet from a couple of years ago he was the number one contender challenging Brock Lesnar for the WWE championship at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia Ricochet never had one good day against Brock Lesnar not a beatdown not a shooting star press not a 630 he got nothing on Brock Brock and Paul Heyman dismissed him. So let's flash forward to this year. The Viking Raiders, they lose in a singles match. Eric versus Jimmy. Jimmy beats his ass in two minutes or less. This week, they get jumped backstage courtesy of Jimmy and Jay. And then Jimmy and Jay steal their Viking helmets and tells them, fuck off, basically. You're not going to beat us. There's no, there's no hope for you. It was like, right. what? <laughs> they're right. It's like... Why, as a viewer, why, as a viewer of this show, should I care about your match at Elimination Chamber for the SmackDown Tag Team titles? I don't care. And I read the spoilers for SmackDown. I still don't care. It's a day before the show in real time for WWE this coming Friday. But the fact is, it doesn't matter. You made them look like a bunch of bitches back-to-back weeks. I don't care about this match. I don't give a solitary shit about this match is going to be good i'm gonna sit there saturday morning afternoon looking like i don't care nice super kick nice splash i don't care because wwe doesn't give me a reason to care due to bullshit booking so scott what are your thoughts on the viking raiders getting punked out by the usos two weeks in a row and fuck the taping because it doesn't matter so I, uh, I dare you to say it's going to be good. I dare you to say it's going to be good. <laughs> he was going to come through that line and choke you. 
So, a couple things, I'm right? I'm right now. <laughs> couple things, right? Get under my table. You finish up, Scott. First off, first off, I uh, let me just throw this out there, man, because you know we've seen weirder stuff happen. I, don't be surprised if the if the Viking Raiders beat them, boys. I'm just I'm just saying, don't be surprised <laughs> if they beat the Usos for the tag titles in Saudi Arabia and give them a title change, since it's probably going to be the only one they get. So, I, hey man, I I might say the Viking Raiders get a victory there. I, I think they beat the Usos then, and the Usos can win the titles back at any point in time. But I I think that they because. You let these dudes kick you in the. You, you didn't even get to cut the interview. Let's let's throw that out too. You didn't even get to cut the interview to hype your matchup. You said hey, and then you got kicked in the face. You know what I mean? So you, you, we don't know what you had to say or what point you were going to get across. And then the nerve of these jerks to take your helmets. I mean, how dare they take your helmets that you were wearing for no reason because you didn't have a match, obviously. So who knows why you were wearing your helmets and catering having a sandwich. <laughs> so nobody knows what's going on back there to begin with. Let's just throw all that out there. And I say all that because I think they're going to pick up a victory, pick up their helmets on the way out, get that same sandwich that they left when they get back from Saudi Arabia because they're going to leave it at the same airport and be like, you guys leave this right here because we're Vikings. And if we come back and it's not here, we're skinning all of you and we're going to take you guys home with us instead of the sandwich because they go hard like that because they're Vikings. (laughs) I took a dark turn. That really did take a dark win. <laughs> that took a turn quickly. All I want is for Ifar to get his turkey leg and say this is the best turkey leg in catering to make up for whatever happened via that backstage segment, which really pissed me off. Because how am I supposed to care about a tag team match that looks promising on paper? And it'll be good in reality, but in terms of emotional give a fucks, I don't have one to give. So Steven, what are your thoughts on this segment that was just the height of fuckery? And the Uso selling the helmets was just the icing on top because fuck your helmets. That's why. <laughs> I have a question first. I want to know if when they got the format, when they got the format for today, and Eric and I are sitting down in the locker room and they've got their gear on and they're okay, well, what are we doing tonight? And he says, well, I come out and I say, hey, and then there's a dash. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what else? No, that's it. That's that's it. Yeah, that's right there. Uh, remember how damn cool War Machine used to be? Mm-hmm. When they were in Ring of Honor, man, the place used to just go apeshit for those guys because they were exciting and they looked like they could kill you and they were so strong and they were just explosive. And you had this guy that could do stuff that it didn't look like his body would allow him to do. And then they come up to NXT and they were exciting. They were a fun team on there. And then they got called up and they have looked like morons and ineffective morons every single day since. I can't believe how badly they have been bungled by WWE. And I know they're making money and they've got, you know, some decent paychecks off of this. But my 
God, they used to be a fun, exciting, high-impact tag team that you used to dream book. Again, man, I'd love to see these guys in the New Japan Tag Team Tournament just smashing Suzuki in the face and having him smash him right back and things. And they're doing stupid comedy skits. And now they're just getting, like you said, bitched out on national television week after week. And you're right. No one should care about this match. Scott's also right. They might win the damn thing. It's WWE. And quite frankly, I wish I had straight vodka instead of water in this bottle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're, all your points are right. They're just the the booking of these is just ridiculous. And I know it's it probably is something just to keep the Usos busy. It might be something just to give them a pop in the in the stadium right there, but uh I don't care either. And I, I and if you had told me a few years ago that I didn't care about a war game, a war machine world tag team title match, I just said you're batshit crazy. I love these guys. But you're absolutely right. I don't care. All I can think about is a flashback to NXT New York 2019. And I remember that um, Brian Alvarez noted, why are Ricochet and Aleister Black attack team? I said, don't question it. Enjoy it. Because as soon as it's over, they're both fucked. Mm-hmm. So remember that match. War Machine, Ricochet, Aleister Black, a classic for the NXT tag team titles. And they had one more good night at WrestleMania the next evening. And after that, fucked in terms of booking on the main Mm -hmm. roster and that's just the way it is just keep clamoring for a tag team that might be an odd pairing like rk bro hold on to it cling to it love it because when it's over it might not be good when they go their separate ways that was my reminder immediately and the viking raiders have so much potential but they're presented so cartoonishly on this show and to get absolutely mollywopped backstage and get your helmet stolen and you don't fight back and you just lay there and you don't get revenge except for the next taping which I don't care about by the way it's never a good thing as we segue to the main event of Smackdown featuring Charlotte Flair versus Naomi and the more I do this show and the more I work with Scott I think about what Scott's thinking in certain moments. So when SmackDown opened on Friday and Sonya says that Ronda Rousey might be indefinitely fine and suspended for touching me last week on the show, Adam Pierce reads an email from Vince McMahon, which I can't believe Vince wrote because he did. And he said that it's come to my attention from the guy that in real life directs the show every single week. It's come to my attention <laughs> that you're abusing your power power, Sonia. That's not right. So because of that, you're not going to be able to have your petition accepted for suspending and finding Ronda Rousey. And on top of that, it's also come to my attention. You've been mean to Naomi, a show I direct and write every single week. And now you don't get to touch her on this night. So Naomi comes out and she slaps Sonia. And I thought of Scott and I said to myself, reparations. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at long last reparations for all of the things she's been through for the last five months she gets to touch Sonia for this night and I gotta give Sonia credit this woman has sold this arm sling on TV and on the red carpet all week long she is a thespian selling the arm as we get to the main event which is Charlotte Flair versus Naomi for the Smackdown Women's Championship and when I tell you this was 
the match of the night by a country mile and a half. This match was so incredible. And I go back to five years ago when Road Dog was the lead writer of SmackDown. And that whole 2017 Women's Division script was the complete shits because he botched Naomi's title run. Charlotte, for the only time in her career, was an afterthought on SmackDown for months at a time. And they had it right there. Naomi, Charlotte Flair had one match, had a screen finish because of the welcoming committee of Natalia and Carmella. Who cared about that? But we get the redo five plus years later, and this match was fantastic. Naomi probably had the best match of her career. There is footage of a match between AJ and Naomi from nearly 12 years ago via NXT Season 3, the All Divas Edition. Check that out on YouTube. That's a great match. That wasn't supposed to be great because of standards at the time of what Divas could do in the ring. That's great. And they were both rookies in the game. This match was so great with Charlotte and Naomi working together. I always love their chemistry. It clicks. The near falls, the rear view, the blockbuster, the moonsault from the top rope, Naomi blocking Charlotte's moonsault. The only time Charlotte goes for the double moonsault and she actually hits her target and the knees go up. It's a perfect clean transition because I hate when Charlotte hits it because she never hits her opponent. So I mm-hmm. loved all of that. The near falls, the crowd was popping for. They were going off for every single spot. The crowd was on their feet. Naomi selling via her emotions on her face. And I love the fact that she really sat in for those near falls. She was trying to get every Every bit of leverage for those pin attempts. And when Charlotte kicked out, you can't get mad. She kicked out fair and square and it was a controversial and it was a clean finish when she chopped blocked the leg and hit natural selection for the win. It was a great match full of high drama. Nice work from both ladies. So, Stephen, what are your thoughts on this main event of SmackDown that got the time and quite frankly gave Naomi the match of her career against Charlotte Flair? It was certainly the best match I've ever seen Naomi have, and she's had some good ones. The Charlotte's had some really good ones. This was just outstanding, and you could see at the beginning the crowd, which was correct, that there was no way Naomi was going to win this title. It's not the time. Ronda Rousey's going to wrestle Charlotte. There's no way in the world she's winning the title. That match was so well worked that people were jumping up on their feet on the near falls at the end in a match they knew Naomi wasn't going to win. That is working. That is figuring out how to get the crowd into it. And that's those two women went out there and had people that knew Naomi wasn't winning, jumping up thinking, oh my God, they're actually going to have her win this dang thing. And she almost did, and it looked like she was trying. It did not look like, well, I'm going to do these spots until it's time for me to do my job. It looked like she was scratching and clawing to pull that upset. And it looked like Charlotte was scratching and clawing to keep herself from being embarrassed. Fabulous stuff. It was really well done. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And especially after some of the weird stuff and bad booking that we had seen over the course of the night to end on this note made me feel a lot better about everything uh that was just a nice way to go out and i remember turning the thing off my girlfriend was sitting next to me we just looked over at each other and both of us said the same thing that was terrific and she's not even that big of a wrestling fan she enjoyed the hell out of that match so that tells you a lot right there and uh good work for both of them Hopefully this will help Naomi. Uh, They'll see that she probably deserves a little bit more. Charlotte, of course, is uh, an all-star competitor, and it's going to go into this tag team match at, uh, at, uh, I almost said Crown Jewel, but at Elimination Chamber. And uh, these four women are going to be subjected to the garbage you have to go through to get that blood money out there in Saudi Arabia. But there it is, and uh, hopefully they can put something together that's, uh, that's good there. But for tonight, for that SmackDown, They had a wonderful, wonderful match and a great way to end a show. 
Yes. And they got Naomi over as a big time over baby face. And I dig it. And if crowd reactions improve and increase for her, WWE might be making an audible, maybe to add somebody into this WrestleMania match. I don't know for sure, but I did hear rumblings that when they had the contract signing, spoiler alert, they had a contract signing for the taping number two, which which we'll get to, Naomi was way more cheered versus Ronda Rousey. And I don't know if there's going to be a sign of things to come. I know it was a back-to-back show and she delivered a great match against Charlotte Flair, but you never know how the, cro- how the crowd tide can turn sometimes when someone gains a bit of momentum. So Scott, what are your thoughts on the main event of SmackDown featuring Charlotte Flair versus Naomi for the SmackDown Women's Championship? So but before I get to the, the fantastic main event, uh, the cap off the week of WWE, uh, I do want to touch on the, the reparations uh, that were handed out uh, by uh, <laughs> Naomi. I, I do want to make sure everyone understands that Vince McMahon only realized uh, what was going on because someone had informed him that it was almost Valentine's Day. And then he was like, oh, Valentine's Day is in Black History Month. How's Naomi doing? So that's how that whole thing came about. <laughs> So, you know, let's let's not give Vince too much credit. He just it's it's near Valentine's Day. You know what I mean? So he had a reason for everything. There's always a reason with Vince. So let's, let's not give him too much credit. But I did enjoy Naomi finally getting a nice slap in. That was very well done. I enjoyed that. I, I I was not feeling Naomi the entire show. I didn't like the opening segment. I was not looking forward to this match. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I almost skipped it because the last time these two wrestled, I didn't think it was that good. I know a lot of people were high on. I know Keela was pretty high on it last time they wrestled, uh, but I didn't think it was that good. But this was, man, this was absolutely fantastic. And Steven, you said it. There was no way that Naomi was going to win. And I even found myself, like, when she hit that rear view, because it was deep into the match after some counters, she hit that rear view. I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's about to do it. Like, even I even believed for a second that Naomi was going to pull this off. And that's really a testament to these two. Um, I don't think there should be any questions like there should be no more questions when it comes to the talent and the ability of Charlotte Flair as a worker you can say whatever we we want about her being shoved down people's throat or that she you know she gets too much attention but her in the ring is, is she's fantastic like I I don't get how people don't like and just don't appreciate what she can do in the ring because she can literally do a little bit of everything. I think she's just as athletic as anybody. And Naomi's probably the most athletic person, just pure athleticism in in the WWE. Maybe Bianca Belair is the only one I can think of off top. But um, so and, and Naomi more than held her own. But when I think about it, I don't Naomi's never. This is probably the first great match I've ever seen in Naomi's. Uh, for me personally, I've seen a lot of great Charlotte Flair matches, and I and I think there's something to that. So, you know, Naomi definitely gets her flowers for this, and the crowd reaction is going to say a lot. But man, the, the Charlotte Flair, you know, the hate train that she gets because because of how pushed she is, I, I think you know those so that stuff has to stop because she's fantastic in the ring, and I think this match more than proved it. And this match made me more excited for her and Ronda at WrestleMania. 
Me too. I always give Charlotte her props. Her selling is very hit and miss for me sometimes. But when it's time to put in that work and she truly respects somebody like a Naomi, a Sasha, a Becky, despite their frenemy aspect right now, she always delivers the goods when it counts most. Rhea Ripley, a couple of years ago at WrestleMania at this point, she always delivers at a high level. And I know a lot of fans have a lot of pushback right now regarding Charlotte versus Ronda at WrestleMania. Let me tell you something. Charlotte Flair feeds off of your hair. You think you're going to turn on this match? You tried that shit of money in the bag. You said, we want Becky. She flipped y'all off, told you to suck it, and she delivered one of the best matches of the year. Ronda Rousey feels the same way. If it gets a little dicey in there, it's going to become a shoot fight, and they're going to go off, and you fans in Dallas, Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium are going to love it. So despite your efforts, if you try to turn on this match, Charlotte is going to drink your tears, hydrate, get her life via this match. She lives for shit like this. So it's going to be a nice attempt to do a mutiny. It's not going to happen because Charlotte lives for moments like this. And so does Ronda Rousey. And she's ready to mean, mean mug y'all anyway. So it's not going to be a disaster. They're both pros, pros, and they can lay in shots when need be. And I expect that at WrestleMania. And at the end of the show, Ever the bitch, Sonya Deville comes out there <laughs> just saying, oh, Naomi, you failed. Look at you, you loser. She's, you know, she can't touch her, but she's just antagonizing Naomi. Naomi gets back up, says, hey, reparation season, I can still touch you. So she shoves and she beats down Sonya. Sonya pity pats her back. She says, I didn't touch her. I didn't touch her. According to her Twitter, I did not touch Naomi. And that leads to Charlotte making the save for Sonya. Ronda Rousey comes out there. She goes after the good arm of Sonya Deville. Charlotte pulls it out the ring. And that leads to a tag team match going down at Elimination Chamber featuring Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville, which is surprising to me because, you know, Saudi's got their own rules and shit about how they treat LGBTQ plus folks. And Sonya fits that bill. And I'm very surprised by this. Maybe this is some sign of yep. progress by this country to say, hey, we're being a bit more welcome and open to all people. I hope that's the case. We'll see come Saturday, but it's a big step for her to make it to Saudi Arabia this time around as she will team up with Charlotte alongside Ronda Rousey versus Naomi. That should be a very fun match. Of course, you got to get that heat ready for WrestleMania season between Charlotte Flair and Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's title. And they had a contract signing. For this week, that was taped on Friday. And as I mentioned, Naomi got a bit more of a pop versus Ronda Rousey. And there is a clip going around online of Ronda shoving Charlotte's head against the table. And Charlotte takes a bad bump for it. Things happen. But hey, she tries to shit at WrestleMania. It's going to be a shoot fight in a hurry. And also, more notes of SmackDown was a title change involving Sami Zayn versus Shisuke Nakamura for the IC title. And Sami Zayn did, in fact, win the championship. This is not a spoiler. WWE.com released a story via their Twitter page. So that is not a surprise. It happened. And quite frankly, I'm glad about that. Sami has been long due for a title for a minute now. And Steven has a brazen prediction heading into this year's WrestleMania as to who Sami Zayn will face for the IC title none other than according to Steven Johnny Knoxville and I think Sammy's going to lose the title to Johnny Knoxville at Wrestlemania that's just my hot take on it right now I really think I think they're going to do the celebrity match they're clearly building up to that the only place to do it is at Wrestlemania they don't like to beat 
the big celebrities. You know, Lawrence Taylor went over at WrestleMania. Donald Trump went over at WrestleMania. Let's try to flick that out of our minds But after this. But um, who else? There have been a couple others. Floyd, Floyd Mayweather. Mayweather went over at WrestleMania. Yeah. And I think Johnny Knoxville is going to be the Intercontinental Champion for maybe about 24 hours. But I think they're going to do the pop. I think Johnny's going to win it over Zane. I really do. And by the way, between that and the Priest versus Priest cinematic match, I am booking a terrible <laughs> WrestleMania in my head. Do not hire me, WWE. That's it. That's it. Hey, Johnny has promised his champion. He wore a very nice <laughs> replica championship belt out of the WWE Superstore in LA on SmackDown. And that's he not looked a real good. store, is it? That's a set, that, right? That, that's, that's a real store. A... That's a legit pop-up store. It's a pop. It yeah, it had to be a pop-up store because it looked yes. like it was put together in 20 minutes. <laughs> yes. There was nothing the on the wall except a picture of Sami Zayn for him to to, to to mark up. There wasn't even a, there aren't even posters and sign anything on the wall. It's just a bunch of racks. That's yes. a real thing. That's a real thing. I hope, I hope that's not the complete inventory, but I did Ooh. laugh at the fact that Johnny had a wood chipper outside. Yeah. He <laughs> sent the t-shirt of Sami Zayn forever through the wood chipper and tore it up. So Johnny's great in this role as he slowly morphs into Tim Timothy Oliphant more and more <laughs> by the years. It's incredible, oh, incredible shit, to right. me. It really is a remarkable transformation as he's becoming Timothy's twin. And I love it. So if he wins, good for him. He has a four all Arm and strikes is equal to, if not better, than Minoru Suzuki. And that's mm. high praise coming from me. But Johnny proved himself at the Warrior Rumble. Am I being brazen? Maybe. But I would love to see Suzuki and Johnny Knoxville have a throwdown strong style match at the G1. Oh, my. <laughs> In Japan sometime very soon. Hey, why not? I think that would look, think that would look similar podcast, to uh, David Arquette and Nick Gage. Oh my god! <laughs> oh man, I, I I can't wait for the Peacock documentary of Johnny Knoxville almost died again, and this is how it happened, and somehow he made it through. Oh my goodness, great idea, Scott. That's going to be lovely to put on Peacock for four ninety nine a month. <sighs> okay, and with that. If this show can't fall off the rails even more, it's now time for the guilty pleasure slash avoid at all costs pick of the weeks, the things we love and hate about WWE, the thing that you maybe shouldn't love, but you love anyway, and that thing that you just want to throw away for every reason imaginable. So Steven, what are your guilty pleasures and your please throw it away picks of the week? My guilty pleasure, we've already discussed. It's Sami Zayn. I actually enjoy this whole build up with Knoxville. I like I like Sami. I'm I'm a Zaniac, what can I say? It goes back to when I first started watching modern wrestling again. I had been away for it for a few years just because I wasn't enjoying it so much. NXT, uh, the original version of it, brought me back. And when I picked it up again, Sami Zayn's rise and his drive to get to the top and upset uh, Adrian Neville, as he was called back then, Pac, for that NXT title was my favorite story to follow and i enjoyed it i've always enjoyed his work and yeah this conspiracy theorist uh, stuff he kind of makes it work for me anyway and i do enjoy him i enjoy the fact that he's getting this uh spotlight here with johnny knoxville because it is going to get some mainstream play and uh, i think he deserves it i'm enjoying it uh he entertains me so that's my guilty pleasure um to my now my avoid at all costs gonna go back to nxt briggs and jensen <laughs> Boys, boys, let's talk. Why are they portraying these guys as losers with no money? The skit last week was them 
being nervous, like middle school kids at a dance, about talking to two women they've been talking to for about a month, constantly on the show. And he can't afford to take Caden to a movie. Aren't these people supposed to be stars? Isn't this supposed to be the big time? I know NXT is supposed to be developmental, but I mean, he, he, even AAA baseball players make decent money. I mean, why don't these guys have two nickels to rub together? They're borrowing money off each other to take a girl to the movie. Everyone in NXT is a loser with women. Zion Quinn gets suckered up by uh, Electra Lopez. You got people stumbling themselves all over for Mandy Rose. And they, all these guys are portrayed as just being losers with women. Briggs and Jensen can't even take a girl to, a, to the movies. I don't care if they go to the movies or not. I'll send the guy $30 if they'll go to the movie and not be on TV next week. How about oh that? My. Oh, my goodness. I got something for them. Send me your Venmo, them. Briggs. I'll send, is it Briggs or just Stratton or Briggs and Jensen? I don't know which one it is. Like Either one. Send me your Venmo. I'll send you money to take them to the movies. Here's when you go take them to the movies at 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. That's when. Yeah. Whatever movie is showing then, I'll buy you tickets. Man, you better send Damn, it to the bad day. before the show. <laughs> well, I'm going to send it to him exactly when NXT 2.0 starts, so they're not on it. Oh, my God. Okay, so I can't wait to get into my afford at all costs, which really piggybacks off of Steven in a more deeper, shadier way. But, well, Scott, yeah, it's going to get deep because, I, you know, the parallels regarding his take and mine are very similar but I'm going to be shadier because they suck. Brooks and Dunn suck. So, Scott, who are your guilty pleasures and avoided all costs pick of the week? So what's funny is I think we all three might have the same avoided all costs because <laughs> I was actually going to pick Brooks and Dunn because I'm I'm watching this like, yo, you two are really legit pissing me off. Like, because you guys are grown men acting like your 12-year-old boys about to ask someone out to the middle school dance for the first time. Like, it's it's completely unfathomable. Not only that, but that these girls would have any interest in them. Like, I think that's what's making this even worse is that they have any... It, the whole thing is stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, uh, they, maybe they should play Brooks and Dunn. They probably would have a better chance of, of, of figuring something out if they did have some Brooks and Dunn playing in the background for these two. Um, so, yeah, this is this is absolutely terrible. But just so I don't pick the same thing, um, I will go with Natalia. Anything with Natalia for the last three weeks with her Guinness Book of World Records, you can skip that. So go ahead and save yourself five, ten minutes on SmackDown and skip that because I'm sure Keela's going to rip a new one, Brooks and Dunn, and their, and their, uh, their new dates over here, Caden and Casey. But or Casey and Jojo, as I like to call them. Um, but as far as which I <laughs> I do enjoy, <laughs> um, I, I I just listened to all my life, so that's what that's what made me think of that. Um, but uh, as far as far as what I did enjoy, my guilty pleasure last week, what I said to avoid was Nikki Lyons and one of the worst rap performances I've ever heard. Well, this week <laughs> I actually thought that the video package they did with her was really good. Um, it showed her more of kind of being this athletic fighter who had to learn how to fight and protect herself because of who she was dealing with. And it kind of made, you know, when she was talking about, you know, Keela brought up how she said that her her mom was a was a groupie and that was her claim to fame was that her mommy was a groupie. So she had to learn how to fight because everybody wanted to be with the groupie. So, you know, at least there was there was that, that athleticism. And then when she said, yeah, when you bring that weak ass shit in here, 
oh boy, I lost it. I had to rewind that about three, four times because I, yeah. I was like, what in the world? Where did that come from? And I guess you can say what you want on sci-fi too. Um, so I did. I really enjoyed that promo. So the Nick, I bashed it last week, but they did a great job with it this week. So I really enjoyed the Nikita Lyons promo. That was a nice recovery. And she has a very nice Tekken character on 205 Live. She's an ass kicker. And I was very like, why would you make her a rapper? (laughs) But as we'll get to shortly, you know, apparently times are rough on NXT (laughs) 2.0 in terms of finances. But before we get to that, let me get to my guilty pleasure who goes by the name of Maurice Mazanin. Maurice, Maurice, Maurice. She (laughs) came out there on Monday Night Raw. And when Rey Mysterio's music hits, she's in the background moshing out, doing her hair flip repeatedly on the goddamn beat. And The Miz is trying to back it up on Maurice. That was hilarious. Maurice is just so funny and she doesn't even try and then she tells Ray Mysterio you can learn something from me call yourself Ray Mysterio and she knows that name is terrible it's shit but she lives for every moment so her moshing out with the hair flip over and over and over again booyaka booyaka that was hilarious I love Maurice now as we all know Brooks and Dunn NXT 2.0, trying to mack on my new favorite nickname, Casey and JoJo. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is my new favorite nickname now. That is phenomenal. But let's get to the, nut, the, nut, the nuts and bolts of this. So apparently, NXT 2.0 is a work-study program, and they pay their stars via stipends because you can't pay for your date you can't pay to go to the movies. And Dunn, I believe, is shortchanging himself saying it costs $40 to see a movie. That's without the food service. That's about 80 bucks to see <laughs> yeah. a movie in total. So you need to up your money. I don't know what you're doing for work besides these side hustles on NXT 2.0. Are you rodeo guys off the clock? What do you do off the clock for 2.0? And on top of that, Brooks Jensen, the Brooks of this situation here. Sir, you have no game. You have a wingman right there telling you, just ask her out, dude. That's all you got to do. You want to be her Valentine? Just say it. Doug on Nickelodeon had more game macking Peppermint Patty than you do macking JoJo. That's just bad stuff, sir. This entire scenario is just so mid-after-school special of just bad shit. This is what you teach your kids not to do. Hey, you want to get a Valentine? Don't do this. Don't be that. Don't be this on TV. Because apparently, they get paid via stipends. They don't make a lot of money. They can't afford to go to Disney World to even take jojo and casey on a date this is just bad like nxt is supposed to be a place where you are supposed to level up as a star apparently you got to be a poker player you've got to be a groupie you've got to be a mobster to really make money on this show because you're damn sure not making money as a professional wrestler who cannot scrum up 80 dollars to go to a movie in 2022 so brooks and jensen you're on my list indefinitely yes i call them by the same name brooks and dunn brooks and jensen briggs and jensen i don't care because you both <laughs> suck as with Oreos. you don't matter on this show you suck as leading men you're terrible and, and let's look at this too what 
And then just as let's just even step back from this, get a little meta here. What are these skits supposed to be accomplishing? <laughs> are we supposed to like these guys? Are we supposed to, is this supposed to be endearing to us? Are we supposed to say, oh, Briggs and Stratton can't get a date. Uh, you know, do you want to just, are we supposed to feel like we're supposed to give them a hug? Or are we supposed to like cup check these guys and see if there's anything down below that they actually have a little cojones to go out with these women? I'm like, what are we supposed to feel about this? Other than these guys are friggin' losers. Is that what we're supposed to feel about it? Because that's what's working. But I don't think that's what they're trying to accomplish. But I have the life of me can't figure out what they actually are trying to accomplish with these skits yes i'm exhausted the only answer i can give you is yes <laughs> yes well that clears it up thank you all of the above <sighs> bruce pritchard watched one episode of the bachelor and says that's love that's how you produce love on this show well, but it was an episode of saved by the bell once we can do that again <laughs> no no kelly zach and that dude that had the drugs that had more depth than whatever is happening on this show oh, the caffeine pills yeah that, that, the the caffeine yeah. pills episode was serious boy that was yeah that was a very special yes. episode but yeah this is rough and this is yeah oh man they, they, they were they had they definitely had more game than these two bozos i'm so excited i'm so <laughs> scared and i'm scared of this shit on my show regarding love and it's not making me a fair woman fuzzy a few days before valentine's day and with that this wraps up another very in another very entertaining episode of the rap with scott and steven thank you guys very much for many laughs much shade as you try to tell our listeners out there how not to be brooks and dunn every single day of your lives don't be them people please don't Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I uh, I had a blast doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thoroughly, you know, I, I think what we should be looking forward to out of all this is my closing thought is the crossover single that is going to come out between Brooks and Dunn and Casey and JoJo. You want to talk about a forbidden door. That's a forbidden door right there. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the collaboration of the year that no one wanted, but we're going to get anyway. And will it be better than Nikita Lyons bars? We're going to find out in due time once this collaboration drops. Will it be better than Ollie J's performance on 2.0? We don't know, but I just love the nickname. Casey and JoJo is now my favorite tag team to win the Women's Dusty Cup. So go Casey and JoJo. <laughs> I can't wait. So with that being said, we'll be back next week covering a twofer. We've got the Vengeance Day review on NXT and Elimination Chamber. We're going to hit the high and hit the, hit the high and low points on both shows with Jeremy Feinstone. It's going to be a lot of fun. He's going to endure both shows for us. Scott and I'll be back here per the usual as we will watch Elimination Chamber. We will grit our teeth and bear it, try to like it for what it is, and ignore the propaganda bullshit of this show, which tends to get on my nerves every other quarter of the year. And with that, this wraps up another fun show. Until next week, for myself, for Steven, and for Scott, that's a wrap.